Welcome back to How They Train. Today is awesome and honestly a bit surreal for me because I'm joined by a guy who I myself spend a lot of time listening to when I'm in the car or going for a jog or a walk on about three different podcasts, Kane Corns. Kane was a premiership winning 300 game AFL star. He won a heap of best and fairest, was in multiple All-Australian teams and was known for his brutal work ethic. In AFL circles, he was widely regarded as one of, if not the best runners in the game at his peak. Since retiring from AFL, Kane has become arguably, arguably a better runner than he ever was in his playing career, although I'm pretty keen to get his take on that. He's also one of the AFL's biggest media personalities and he's killing life as a host, analyst, commentator and conversation starter on multiple TV, radio and podcast platforms. Kane, thanks for joining me. This is a, a real honour for me, mate. Oh, Jack, it's good to be here. I, uh, you've hit the ground running um, with this podcast. I've listened to a couple of episodes and, and they're awesome. So thank you for asking me on. Yeah, it's, um, it's just pretty crazy how, uh, how fast the podcast sort of has taken off. I, so I just started it because like, I was bored and, and wanted to talk to a couple of people about their training because I'm, I'm like, oh, I just don't have anything to listen to in, in that space. And yeah, so to hear like, that someone like you has listened to a few episodes actually sort of blows my mind, to be honest. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. Pleasure. Hey, uh, Kane. Like I said in that intro, what do, what do you reckon? Are you a better runner now or or post career than than what you were at your your absolute fittest when you when you were playing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If you're just measuring it on um, endurance running, I, I guess playing footy is is a whole different beast. Though, um, I mean, these footy players not only have to be you know have a reasonable tank, but the speeds that they run out and um the repeat effort so you know it'll be walk for 150 meters but then it will be sprint flat out for 40 then it'll be tackle someone then it'll be get up try and win the footy yourself try and make a good decision so um for those reasons you know i'm a much better athlete in terms of running than when i was playing but that's solely because i only focus on running i i haven't lifted a weight or done any full sort of sprint efforts since I retired, you know, some six, seven years ago. Yeah. And like I sort of said in that, that quick intro, you were sort of known for, for how hard you worked back in the day. I've, I've actually heard that from multiple people inside the industry, even now talking to me about it. So that's like a, a big reason outside of just being like a huge fan of yours from, from all your work. Like I've just heard so many stories about you and, and like some of the crazy things you would do. Can you take us a little bit inside what you used to do when you were sort of maybe at your, at your craziest in terms of um, training back in the day? Yeah, like what I do now seems a lot more crazy than what I did when I was playing, but you, you sort of only know what you know. I, I was never a great athlete. So I, w- I went to the, the AFL draft camp or combine as they call it now where you grow up and you're, you're a good junior because you're playing against, you know, school footy or just the people in South Australia and you, you're not sort of mixing it with the best. So you, you actually think you're going okay. And in your draft year, it starts to get a bit more serious. So you, you get invited to the the draft camp and that, you know, they do the, they used to do the beep test and your 20 meter sprint effort and agility and repeat speed tests and things like that, as well as a whole heap of uh, interviews with the AFL coaches and recruiters and, and all the other athletic tests that you need to do as well as, you know, your skill um, tests as well. And I was the second slowest player at the draft camp. So over 20 meters, you want to be running, you want to be running sub three seconds for 20 meter sprint. And it's, it's sort of almost the marquee event. Well, it was back when I was going through at the combine, all the AFL coaches and scouts gather around this 20 meter, um, you know, course with the lights that light up automatically. And I, I ran, 3.17 3.17 and I was just devastated. It, was, it turned out to be the second slowest player out of about, I don't know, it's probably 80 invites um, to the draft camp. So I, I thought I was in a bit of trouble at that point. It was sort of an era where recruiters had moved a little bit away from just your, your good footballer who, you know, wins a lot of the footy and, and he's quite smart with the way that they play to the athlete. It was the athlete era sort of early two thousands. And I thought it was, was all over from that moment. I, you know, I realized I'm going to have to, do something. I'm going to have to have some sort of weapon. And, and that for me was, was endurance, but also, you know, how hard you can train. So, you know, often when, you know, teammates or um, the opposition were away on their eight weeks holiday each year and going over what overseas and on footy trips and things like that, I, 
I just didn't stop. I just, I just trained right through. And, and that was always, I don't know, a bit of a mental thing for me that if, if I'm training um, when everyone else is on holidays, I, I treated the off season incredibly um, seriously and treated it as just an extension of the season and sort of tended to work. So I train every day of the year. Um, I wouldn't sort of take any days off, but I do that now as well and train multiple times a day now. So uh, nothing's, nothing's really changed, albeit the older I've got, sort of the crazier I've got. So when you walked into the club at 18, and, and I'm assuming that just based off a few things I've heard you, you say in the past, you weren't really certain you were even going to get in the door. So, so once you did, did, did that sort of um, like light bulb moment happen before you, you, you entered the club or was it, was, it, was it at the testing day like you've said or, or what happened when you just went, okay, like my thing is I'm going to outwork everyone at this club and, and everyone in the game to be the best player I can? Yeah, pretty much. But it was, it was to my detriment in a way. I was, I was hard work. Like I, in a, in a, it's fine if you're a runner or you're a tennis player um, and you've really only got yourself to worry about. But I was a, I was a, I would have been a really annoying teammate for those reasons. I was just so obsessed um, about how I could get fitter or faster or stronger to the, to the detriment, I think, of the team. And I was so focused, whether it was a, you know, a chip on my shoulder from that draft camp or back in the day um, when people say you're only sort of in the team because you're old man and things like that. I, I carried that. Um, fear of failure on my shoulders and I walked into the club and I was just so single-minded with where I wanted to go and in a team sport it's no good and honestly it took me way too long to realize that that wasn't the way to go about it and I'm talking it probably took me 10 11 years to work out that it's hang on it's not just about you know you being better and that will help the team get better it's about everyone else and fitting into that dynamic now I, I don't think I'm a a selfish person but the way that I went about it at times trying to be the best was selfish so from the the senior players where I walked in um seeing this young guy come in it would have been really annoying like if I if I didn't get picked in the team one week and I, I, I would turn up at the coach's doorstep and sort of bang on his door at eight o'clock on a Monday night and, and ask him what I've got to do to get in the team now Thankfully, I had Mark Williams as a coach and his wife, Pauline, and the kids. They were very welcoming and, and they were okay with that. And they saw the glass half full side of, of a, a young player who wants to just get the absolute best out of themselves. But if you had someone else, they'd just sort of write you off and say, hang on, just go and play well, get a kick and, and leave us alone. What's a first-year player doing turning up at the coach's doorstep? So it took me way too long, Jack, to realise that um, it's not just about being the best athlete in a team sport and and that's if I've got any sort of regrets of my playing days that's probably one of them so you say you were hard work or, or you assume you were hard work to be around um, at that time but if it if it took you sort of 10 11 years in the system to realize it does that mean that no one was actually telling you that or like do you know is there any stories of, of things that happened where you're like yeah fuck I am hard work I'm, I'm but I'm not going to change or was everyone actually okay with it and you just, you know, self-consciously think you were hard hard to be around at the time? It's probably probably hard on myself a little bit, but there, there were times like I'm sure you've heard of leading teams, which is the, the leadership consultancy group, which come in and they evaluate the behaviours of the individuals and then that makes up the behaviours of the team. And um, one of their really confronting um, exercises was that they'd get, players up in front of the group so you're on a chair in front of 44 of your teammates and there's three categories stop start and keep you know they go through what Kane Corns needs to stop doing what he needs to start doing and what he needs to keep doing what sort of what's working and I remember one I mean it's pretty tough to sort of give that feedback to your teammates and it's pretty tough to receive it as well you're not allowed to respond you can't argue you just got to cop it sweet. And, and one group said that, um, you know, I was selfish in the way that I played. And a lot of that was the role that I played. I, I played a run with role on the best players. Um, you know, most footy fans would know I was a tagger and I was just so single-minded in not letting my opponent touch the ball that often I would stay with my man instead of, you know, helping a, a teammate out and covering for them or just, just little things like that is an example of, of that. So it was probably at that moment where you thought, yeah, yeah. They, 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 so like, to answer your question, at times they did give me the feedback, but it was it was hard because a lot of what I did 
sort of worked and you know how can you be critical of a guy who's just trying to absolutely get the best out of themselves as opposed to you know a lot of AFL players or a lot of athletes are out on the drink at night or they're they're on drugs or they're uh, skin folds are way too high and and that's their version of selfishness mine was a little bit different and it was single you know single-minded in in how I could be the best player but at times probably probably hurt hurt the team a little bit hey I'm, I'm really fascinated about this leading team stuff because every time I'm like a I'm a huge AFL fan I always have been um and, and every time I hear it talked about it it's usually like grazed over so I have like like everyone, I have like a little idea of it and I have like a bit of a concept. You know, you have like a previous guest like Chase Nakamanis, like he was telling, telling a story about how he just hated it and but sort of still brushed over it a little bit. So can you sort of, I'd know, like I'd never heard that they, they give you like a um, stop, start, keep. I, I'd never even heard that. I didn't know that was a thing. So when you're, when you're sitting up there, can you like talk to me about what actually happens and, and what were your things? What did you need to, you know, um, start doing and, and what did they ask you to keep and, and all that, all of that? Yeah. Firstly, I, w- I wasn't a massive fan of it either. Not, not for that reason, but for the reason that it's a external um, consultancy firm, I guess that just, I saw it as just sort of fly in, fly out. Mm. Like, so, you know, if they're not living and breathing the day-to-day life of a, an AFL player and an AFL footy club and they're not, hands-on how can they just sort of fly in and and put this program together and they they don't really give you any answers either it's it's about the team finding the answers within themselves now it's worked incredibly well for some teams and and well documented I think you know the turning point for Geelong and I think Alistair Clarkson's been a fan of it at Hawthorne and other teams have used it but it didn't work for us and part of that was because um, our coach didn't really believe in it either you could just tell we actually got him out the front, Mark Williams, and try to give him feedback, but he's so um, he, he wants to argue back and and justify the reasons, and you can just sort of didn't work with that. So um, yeah, they, they 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 get you out there. You you try and come up with almost like a, a mission statement, I guess. A, a conversation starter is how would the seventeen other AFL clubs perceive us? So that's sort of how you first start. Um, now, if it was if it was Melbourne, it'd be all good, wouldn't it? The 17 other teams would, would see them pretty well. But if it was Gold Coast, you'd be a bit of a laughing stock. So that's sort of how it starts. And then you, you break it down um, to individuals. And uh, you know, I think I'm not an expert on it, but I think the idea is for self-accountability. It's much more powerful if the feedback's coming from your, your teammates rather than coming from above and the coaches. But um, it was that day for me was, was one that I'll remember. I remember exactly where I was sitting. And it happened a couple of times, like throughout, you know, play footy for 15 years you use leading teams a couple of times but that was quite confronting when you're sort of told that you're selfish and you've got to sort of sit there and cop it and, and go away and work out whether you believe it and whether you're going to do something about it and what did um, what did your teammates ask you to keep what did they admire most about you well I was I was pretty consistent like I was consistent in um, performance so I think that's you know I think that's a, a, a measure of and something that I prided myself on was you know, I think I've finished top three in the best and fairest 10, 10 years in a row or, or something, <laughs> something like that, which is not, not easy to do when you're playing some half decent sides. So that they, I think they admired that. I, I think they did admire, you know, how hard I, I trained and how I prepared myself. So it wasn't all bad. I, I, I feel like I'm getting up here and saying I was the world's worst teammate. I, I wasn't, but there were some things when you look back and you're a bit older and you're a bit smarter and, um, you realise, you know, you would have been probably wise to do things a little bit differently. So can you sort of take me into your, your just how, like how obsessed you were at the time? Because I've heard you, you talk multiple times about how you were so obsessed and you sort, of, you sort of talked about it before, how you would just be on and training every single day. What other stuff were you doing? Because obviously AFL is a, is a lot more than running. So what, what, would, what would your life look like? Would you be really obsessed with, with the little details like your, your diet and your sleep? and you're running and your gym or, or yeah, what was your life like at the time? Well, it's just all consuming. So I've never been able to switch off. So my, my head is so busy. Like I have just thoughts. I just can't sort of, I don't know, quieten my mind, if that makes sense. So it was just, um, you know, for, for example, I wouldn't speak to anyone for a couple of days if I played poorly. Like, so poor old Lucy, she, she, if I'd played badly my week was ruined 
right? So this is this is how ridiculous it got. So I, I felt like I had to be in a bad mood if I played poorly, and you know if I if I played well, I was allowed to go to McDonald's. I love I love uh, chocolate sundaes from McDonald's. If I, <laughs> well I was allowed a chocolate sundae and I'll <laughs> reward myself with that but if I played poorly I wasn't allowed and I you know I felt guilty for having fun or having a laugh in the change rooms if I if I played badly and we'd lost so it was just it was just all consuming like I'd because I played that role which sort of suited myself pretty well I'd know who I was playing on you know probably on Tuesday and then the whole week was dedicated to how I was going to stop this guy you know you the last thing you think about when you go to sleep is Simon Black and he's the first thing you think about when you wake up on a Thursday morning, you watch vision of what he's done and who's had success against him and what he does well. And you've played on him before. So you go back and watch the old tapes and you pretend that one of your teammates is Simon Black at training and you're playing against him. So it was, it wasn't any one thing. Like it wasn't, I didn't weigh my food. I wasn't obsessive in, in the gym, but it was more the mental game, which in the end completely finished me really like I wasn't physically when I retired I was I was fine I honestly reckon I could still play now like physically but the mental game um just got me I just wake up feeling sort of sick on on game day and, and wanting it all to be over because that pressure builds and I'm not painting a very rosy picture of an AFL player I could, <laughs> it was I loved it it was brilliant but there were moments where you know just the inability and of me not to be able to switch off my mind. Um, and it's still, you know, still an issue in other areas just because you finish footy doesn't mean that that issue's gone was, was something that I found really difficult. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's funny to listen to that because you were such a, like you were a superstar. You played 300 games. Like you, you, you were in all Australia and you won best and fairest and, and premierships. But even to this day, you're still really hard on yourself and you're like, you're, you're finding those little things you're hush I could have done that better or I was you know and you just yeah you're just hard on yourself when um, a lot of people who maybe had that that um, list of achievements would just be like oh look at me but it probably speaks to how you got there like you, you talk about how you weren't the most talented uh, footballer when you walked in the door as a kid but <laughs> look at what you achieved because of, of probably this mindset of just being super hard on yourself and I just played on fear as well and you know and that and that goes into other areas so it was always you know this guy's going to get 30 and kick four of me I know it like this is the sort of talk that goes on so I was never never confident I always admire those um, AFL players or any athlete really like you see the boxers that are just so confident Uh, whether that's false confidence or not or you see the NFL or, or any American not any but a lot of the American athletes, the NBA basketballers, they're so confident in their own ability. That just just was never me. Like, you know, I, I ran a marathon about a month ago and and we we can touch on that as well. But I, I was convinced I was going to drop out at 30K. Like I was, I'd convinced myself. I was, I just, and you just talk it down. It's like, oh, if it's going no good, you can just drop out at 30K and no one will know and move on. And but that's what's, this is sort of the dialogue that goes on in your head. So anything I've ever done has been built on fear, which isn't great. I've heard other people talk about it as well, but um, that was sort of what the, and it seemed to sort of work, not that I'd advise or um, say that give that advice to anyone on that's the way to go about it, but that's the way that it worked for me. Yeah. Hey, I'm super keen to come back and talk about all your, all your running stuff, but just quickly on the, on the AFL world, do you, do you think that there's still players in the game who are like you or, or is it a real old school thing that's, that's dying with the new game? Don't know. I, I assume there there would be. Um, I, uh, it's, it's definitely more uh, um, em, embraced the individual now. So it's a lot more playing to the strength of that person's personality. So if there was someone who was quite out there, you know, even when I was playing um, and they were, you know, quite big on social media or not that there was social media, but they were quite out there in the media, you'd quickly be pulled back into line. And it was like, hang on, hang on, young fella, you, you know, get some runs on the board before you start carrying on like that. I I remember I, I got in, I got engaged in, I don't know, to Lucy in 2000 and say it's 2004. Uh, the advertiser over here, which is just the, the, the main paper in Adelaide asked to do a photo for the engagement, so, you know, worries. This can be a little photo that's run in the middle of the paper. Anyway, they used the photo on the front page of the paper, and I found out 
the night before that they were going to run this photo on the front page. And I honestly was petrified to walk back into the club because of the grief that the senior players were going to give me for being on the front page celebrating an engagement. Now that just, just wouldn't happen now. Like you just, everyone be like, you know, congratulations, like celebrate the story. But I was petrified of any media coverage, any media headlines of being out there and doing anything that was seen to be getting ahead of yourself. If you'd, done an article in the paper in the lead up to a game you know, everyone would say oh he's on media streets look at him he better play well on the weekend so it was just a different era I think it's much healthier now than what it was even you know sort of when I was coming through yeah and, and what what you were worried about was it was it mainly light-hearted or was it was it like was it serious was it like hey mate like pull your head in like you're not you're not better than the team you're not bigger than the team or or was it just like typical locker room like oh look at look at Cornsy you know thinks he's a superstar type stuff yeah I think it was mainly light-hearted but there was always an element of seriousness to it and then if it got out of if you if you got out of control then it, you would be called into a leadership meeting and say <laughs> hey mate you know your head in there's there's a, there's enough media for you for a month there's sort of a way that it would would work um but it, once again it was that fear of uh is an article in the paper going to affect my performance and that's sort of the mind games that you played with yourself it's sort of all it all changed for me we, we had our first son in 2006 and he was he was really ill he's got um a heart condition and heart disease still to this day and everything that I'd done was sort of thrown out the window. I was very meticulous with sleep and, you know, not, not so much with diet, but I was you know, fully aware of skin folds and making sure that I'd eaten the same thing the night before and that I'd worn the same bathers on game day and everything was just so methodical. But then he came along and, you know, honestly, we we're in hospital the night before a game with, with zero sleep whatsoever. And then you're going out there the next day and, I still played all right. You now I still played 2007 is probably the best individual year I've ever had. And that was when it was at its hardest. So it probably took that and Eddie to learn the lesson that, hang on, if you, if you get half an hour of sleep the night before a game, you still can go out there and perform pretty well and then go back and, and be with your family after. So that was almost a, a bit of a wake up call for me that, you know, everything I'd done in the past you know, probably wasn't necessary to, to play well. Yeah. So on this, if you could talk to, you know, a current day player and, and give them any advice about any, like just whatever it, it is in terms of preparation, what would you, what would you be, what would you be saying? Like if they came to you and said like, Kane, like I heard about um, everything you did when you were a player, what do I need to do to be the best AFL player I can? I think I would say, have a, learn the, the art of when to be switched on. Um, and you see it with you know, I see it with cricket players, like the best cricket players switch on for that second that they're facing or a couple of seconds, they're going to face the ball. But, you know, some innings you know, might last for three hours. You can't concentrate for those three hours. So what I would say to any young AFL player is treat training like you you are on. The minute you're, you're strapped, you're warmed up and the first drill starts, you, you've got to be switched on and you've got to give it absolutely everything but the minute you come off the track switch off and whatever's happened just relax uh that, that's probably what i would say i still don't think the modern afl player is as professional as they should be now there there's there are some that are absolutely um but there's a lot that aren't like i i, I see the way that some players bodies are, are shaped by round one i think gee, you've had a pretty relaxed off season. You can just, you can just tell now would Rafa Nadal ever turn up to a, um, a major underprepared? Probably not. So I, I still think there's a lot of AFL players that don't maximize the opportunity that they've been given and, and get the absolute best out of themselves. So I would, I, I would also emphasize that, but I think the ability to, to switch on and absolutely have a crack when you're on, but then as soon as you step off to have a laugh and have a joke and be yourself was something that took me far too long to learn. That actually, that what you just said then segues into something that I'd, I'd sort of almost forgotten about a little bit. It, the back end of the, the 2020 AFL season, um, there was sort of like footage of, of, of Jake Stringer um, with, his, with his shirt up, like it had, it had got sort of lifted up in a tackle or something and... Um, I really clearly clearly remember you saying this sort of thing, like, come on, we need to have better sta- standards if you're going to be 
a professional athlete getting paid this amount of money to, to play a professional sport. Um, and I followed it like anyone at the time. And, and, and I do like a little bit of coaching myself. And, and that preseason, about, about a month after that photo, I get a, a message from, from Jake's group. Um, and he basically just said like he, he wants to start being a professional. And it was really driven by your comments. Uh, and then I was talking to him and he said like, oh, yeah, I was trying to like get an idea of what, what he's done. Like, so what, what training have you been done? And he hadn't gone for a run in six months and he'd never gone for a run further than 5k in his life ever. And he was, you know, a, a 26 year old, 25, 26 year old AFL footballer. So there's no doubt that, that, that still it's like, a, it's a professional sport, but you, you know, you're not going to ride in the tour de France if you haven't ridden your bike in six months, are you? Yeah. And, that, and that's like what I've learned about, um, just, yeah, you, know, you, you hang around with a few runners. Like I, I've got so much admiration for a lot of runners. Um, and to see what they do is chalk and cheese to what an AFL player does. Like that some, some of these, you know, some of these runners are just freaks in terms of the way that they train multiple times a day. Now the average wage of a footballer is 370 grand. I reckon it would, would there be, I don't know if they, I don't reckon there'd be one runner in Australia that would earn 370 grand, but you would have probably a hundred training so much harder than your average AFL player. Now I know the world's not equal and, and for whatever reason, AFL is, is mainstream and there's a lot of TV stations that pay a lot of money to, to broadcast the footy and, and thank good they do, God they do because it's, you know, a lot of our livelihoods, but what I've learned from, from these runners who don't get the media headlines or the pay or anything is just their, how methodical they are with their training like every single day of the year, multiple times a day. And I'd look back and think, yeah, I could have done a lot more. Like I, as a, I, tra- I thought I trained pretty hard and I thought it was a strength of mine, but I, I didn't do anywhere near what I think I was capable of. So yeah. And I, you know, the, the stringer one's a good example. And now, Thank goodness it, it didn't, uh, you know, he learned that halfway through his career rather than at the end because he was terrific last year after he lost eight kilos and got a lot fitter. Christian Petrarca is the same. He said, you know, I, I took it really seriously in the off season. Look at him, Norm Smith, you know, 39 in the grand final and and one of the game's top three players now. It takes some players a lot longer though and, and some never get it, which is unfortunate because it's such a great opportunity that they've got. Do you think any part of it is the fact that you walk into a club and you're one of, you know, 40 odd blokes. So you can sort of um, slip through the cracks a little bit if you, and you're not really held to the same accountability level as you are in in other sports, like, you know, use NBA as an example where pretty much all of them have their own um, strength and conditioning coach. You know, if you've watched the the F1 documentary, they all, you know, take a a strength and conditioning coach with them one-on-one for the whole season, for the whole year, pretty much. It's like the, the full-time job of that person to look after one bloke. And, and that's the same in, in running. Every run, runner has an individual coach. Every cyclist has an individual coach. Do you think that's a, a big factor into why that can happen still? I think a lot of it is what you've always done um, and you're not willing to change from that. So we, you know, one of our high-performance guys was Darren Burgess. He just finished at Melbourne, won the premiership there. Now he's come across to Adelaide. He, he came from a soccer background and and in the EPL he was with Liverpool and Arsenal and a lot of what they do is they play multiple games a week and they continue to train so he brought a lot of that over to Port and he said look you guys you're really used to doing three sessions a week you have one day off and then you play but I'm going to change that up so we went away on a camp to Dubai and he was a heat training camp um, when you could travel and he said look we're just we're going to go about things completely different to what you would know. And we trained, you know, three, four times a day. So it'd be a, a really hard skill session in the morning. It would be, you know, straight into weights. Then it would be some agility and some speed stuff. And then we'd come back for a, a big running session in the afternoon. And 10 days of that in the heat of Dubai, when you're, when you're used to training, you know, three sessions a week, plus your weights and the other stuff that AFL players do you know, took, took its toll on a lot of the group, but everyone got through it and everyone was no worries. You know, he had Stephen May who did a, did a hammy in, in one of the finals and, and was able to get up and play in the grand final with a tear in his hammy because, you know, he'd done that in the EPL. So a lot of it is 
you just do it because you've always done it. It, it takes some brave individuals to change things up and and get more out of it uh, yourselves and than what you used to in the past. So I think there's heaps of room um, for more potential and more growth in the AFL and, and bigger and better athletes if they can you know, start to train just a little bit harder. And how big an impact do you think it makes to success? Like you've just mentioned Darren Burgess who, who was with Melbourne this year and, and look at them. And, you know, you mentioned Petraka and, and I reckon another guy's like, look at Clayton Oliver. Like he was just clearly like much leaner and faster and, and, and got to a lot more contests. So, and I think he's arguably the best player in the comp, particularly last year. Um, how big an impact could the right people uh, implementing a strength and conditioning pro- program have on an AFL club? Like could, could, could Burgess walk into Gold Coast next year and, and make a, a massive difference where they become a top eight team? We're about to find out because he just walked into Adelaide and they're no good. So <laughs> you still need, you need talent, don't you? You need to win a premiership. You need multiple top 10 draft picks really. And then probably a couple of guns that you've been able to get through free agency from other clubs. So there's the main thing is you need good players on your list, but when it's a competition that is this even when everyone's got the same money to spend to pay their players, when everyone's got the same money to spend on coaches and physios and doctors. Now everyone's got the same facilities, really, you know, some, some clubs a little bit better than others, but it's so even it's, you know, the, the three, four, 5%, but the, the fitness guy is the second most important person at a footy club behind the senior coach. You, you'd speak to the fitness coach every day really um you would be you know looking at your your gps numbers all the players wear gps for every training session you'd go through your your high speed running um your distance covered um your repeat efforts your max speed all of that so the players be going through that daily you know be speaking about your your program your loads your management and all that type of thing so you need a good one um and if you don't have a good one you won't win it but in terms of the difference i still think you need the best list and the best players is always going to get it done. And moving on a little bit now. So you retired from, from the AFL world to, to go and pursue firefighting. And, and I've heard you talk about that multiple times as it wasn't quite what you expected it to be. And, and then made this, this shift to the media and what part of you was like, okay, um, I'm going to go, I'm like, I, I sort of saw it as you wanted to be a fire because it, it allowed you to keep this sort of hardworking, active lifestyle up and then moving to sort of like desk jobs in the, in the media. Is, is that why you still run so much? Is it because it, it like you just need something in your life that, that, that you can be driven by from a, an athletic sense? Yeah, it's probably a mental thing more than anything. Um, it's, you know, it's probably an anxiety thing that if, you know, if it's sort of, good for the mental health really is, is probably why you do it. But then, so you then you just always loved running mum and run marathons when I was younger and I always thought, yeah, I just want to run, run a couple of marathons. I just wanted to run one. Um, but then you sort of get caught up in it and becomes a part of your routine. So uh, you start sort of running when you finish footy and, and end up uh, punching out anywhere between 150 and 170 Ks a week. Um, most most weeks so I don't know how it, I don't know how it formed into this obsession but mainly probably because um, it's a, a good way for me to de-stress a little bit your, your podcast is called how they train Jack you you I would never advise anyone to do what I do and the way that I train like listening to 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 Moose uh, Julian on on your podcast and how methodical he is with his methods and the advice that he would give. I don't do any of that. So I don't want to get out here and tell anyone to, to train how I train as a runner because I, I do a lot of the things I shouldn't be doing. So I'll put my hand up and say, say that, but yeah, it just became a, a bit of an obsession. And and now you, you get to, you know, mid two thirties is a marathon. You want to get to two thirty, and then you want to get under and then you want to see how long you can do it. And yeah, so it's a never ending really. Yeah, I'm going to chuck uh, Julian's top five running mistakes up on Instagram. So maybe you can screenshot that and just make it like your phone background for a bit so you don't do those. Um, all the ones he said, the mistakes, I do all of them. I run, <laughs> I run, I run too fast. I do all of that. Yeah, yeah. I've been, a, I've been like, you know, had a little bit of time as a pro, a pro triathlete and I've been a runner forever and I've spent every day with Julian for pretty much the last five years and, and he would, you know, he would talk about those mistakes at least once a week and I still make them every single week. So it's sort of just like, it's one of those things where you can hear it a thousand times and, you know, 
you never actually implement them. Like so many, how many people, uh, you know, like since you've been in the running world, would you say jog too fast when they run? Well, all of them, like in, when you line up, you know, your, your personal best with how fast you jog, it's ridiculous. But once again, it's, you know, life gets in the way a little bit. I mean, not, not many of us are professional athletes where you have time to be able to take your time on a slow run and take 90 minutes instead of an hour and then go home and rest and stretch and do all that. We, life gets in the way. So if I've got an hour, I want to get 14 Ks out. I don't want to get 12 out, you know? So it's just <laughs> yeah. un, unavoidable a little bit for me. I, I don't apologize for doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do enjoy um, going for a run and, and chasing marathons really. Hey, Okay, what are your like? So you obviously work um, in the AFL media space where you're surrounded by people like you, like former superstars of the game, um, really high achieving people. But uh, like, what do they think about the way you train now as a retired footballer? Because it's not very common that a retired footballer, you know, becomes a, a fitter or better runner after they retire versus when they were playing. Well, they sort of mock it a bit. Like I think they, well, I think they sort of half respect the i never wanted to be one of those footballers that you you see retires and then 10 years later they turn up at a charity game and they're fat and overweight and you think, oh geez that guy let himself go i didn't want to be that guy um but i didn't they probably didn't realize i'd take it this far i don't know i don't know what they think i think they probably think you're you're a little bit crazy but you know some players go into other areas that they weren't able to do when they were playing like other you know, passions that they've got, be that business or, uh, you know, be it other stuff that you weren't able to do when you were playing. And for me, it was, it was this along with work, like it's you know, works seven days a week and, and travel and um, you know, Saturday nights at, you know, midnight, and then you're up early Sunday morning for the Sunday footy show. So it's, I run around work. I try, you know, as best I can. Um, and, you know, middle of the year, it gets pretty, pretty monotonous and and fatigue sets in so you you do your best but um it's a bit of a balance as well as you know you've got to fit your family in as well yeah and, and so you talked about the your motivation to start was like oh, i just want to run a marathon but was it was it really that you just wanted to run a marathon or or did you already know from from the moment you retired that hey i want to go and be a fucking good runner like i want to be the best i can be and and see how fast i can get is, is it where was your motivation really well it was I wanted to beat my mum's marathon time was, was it? And I reckon she was three ten, three hours, 10, which I, which I was just, that is amazing. And then when I, uh, when I was sort of coming to the end of my career, Michael Wilson, who was one of my most admired teammates, toughest man I've ever played footy with in terms of not how he put his head over the footy and how courageous he was, how he played with injuries and, and things that you just, unless you were behind the scenes, you wouldn't, realize someone could go through as many challenges as what he did but then he retired and he ran a marathon and he ran the Adelaide marathon and I think he finished third it would have been in I don't know 2016 and he ran 241 I thought that is unbelievable how has he run 241 in in the Adelaide marathon I just I just could not get my head around someone running that fast and then I, I just started to train for one. I was, you know, just sort of had no idea what I was doing, maybe running, you know, 60, 70 Ks a week. And um, I, I went for a long run. I did 30 K and the the average pace was like four minutes, one Ks or something. And anyway, I think Jess Trengove saw it on Strava or somewhere and she said, hang on, that's pretty good. Like, look at your heart rate. You're not working too hard. I reckon you're not too bad at this. You should come out and run with our group. And anyway, started sort of just evolving that way. I ran the 2016 Adelaide marathon in 2:52. then went to New York and did one over there. It's the best thing I've ever done. The New York marathon still to this day, the, the best sporting day that I've ever had. And then started training properly for the, I think it was the 2017 Melbourne marathon. And, and that's where I sort of ran a half decent time of 2:35 and and loved it. But then you get injured, don't you? Like it's just the last three years have been um, horrible. I just thought I was sort of invincible. I, you know, I was doing sort of 8,200 Ks a year for a couple of years there and um, thought I was indestructible. But injuries were really nasty for three years and, and hadn't run a marathon for, for three years, you know, with the pandemic and everything and, and was lucky enough to get one in for Melbourne that went okay. But thought many times jack about quitting like honestly that the injuries were, were were pretty bad so any runner that's run for a 
fair amount of time would, would understand that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Like that's, um, that's been a real common theme through this whole podcast. Every single athlete I've had on bar none has gone through like really low moments with injury where they question everything and, and pretty much every time, maybe except for one, it's, 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 it's resulted in them achieving even more because they go back a little bit smarter and, okay, here's, here's what I know I can do. And if I do that consistently, then that will lead to, to, you know, getting better versus going through this, like, um, sort of like roller coaster of like really, really good, really high volumes of training into six weeks off with injury. And, and you sort of like halt your, your progression a little bit, because instead of doing, you know, 120 K weeks for, for 12 weeks straight, you do, you know, 180 Ks for six weeks straight, and then you have six weeks off. So I guess like you, you maybe came into the sport and, and had those real highs, you know, you speak about New York being the, the best moment in your sporting career, which is pretty crazy to hear um, into, into where you're, you're at now, where maybe you're going through a little bit of a low and, and a learning experience. Yeah. Like it was everyone, I was doing these when I started to get really obsessed by, I was doing these crazy Ks, like just kept just punching out. The, and and for two years, honestly, nothing, not even every day, not even sore. And then, all of a sudden, oh, it was in the lead up to the Gold Coast Marathon. It may have been sort of 2019 and just the Tuesday before the race on the Sunday, I just felt some sort of tightness in my glute. And that turned out to be a, a still flow over there for the marathon was was ready to go. Just couldn't couldn't run the the Saturday before the race. And I don't know what this is anyway. That was a um, stress fracture in like my coccyx bone or sacral stress fracture, whatever they call it. I had one of them. That was the worst injury I've ever had. Then I did that again then sort of multiple stress fractures in my feet. I had um, you know, deep vein thrombosis in my calf from a little calf tear that I had that turned into that. That was horrific. And so many times you think about quitting, but for whatever reason you come back and you're right in the, the lead up to that Melbourne marathon, just in December recently, I, I'd hardly trained. I you know, did a six week program and nowhere near the amount of Ks that I would have done in the past. And you still run the best you've ever run. So it's a bit of a lesson that uh, often more isn't better and you can be a little bit smarter about it. And I've heard a lot of other athletes say the same, not, not that I'm anywhere near that caliber, but it's just to your own level, isn't it? So when you talk about like you're doing crazy, crazy Ks in a week, how much were you doing? What, what was sort of like the, the, the highest volume you got to in a week and, and how long did you sort of maintain that for? I reckon I did like 8,400 Ks for a year for, for, for one of those years. And I reckon that year I didn't even run a marathon. So it was just like, just like an addiction of just seeing how much I could run. That's about 24 Ks a day. Yeah. It's like 160 K a week, isn't it? Yeah. Fuck, I know. For, for a full year. And I think last year I, I was back sort of down to about six and a half thousand K. So a much better load for me but that was with you know multiple stress fractures um in the foot for a couple of times so a few months of doing nothing i feel really good at the moment um but you know you, you're only a you know a day away from another injury but i've got a really good doctor who's quite um quite aggressive with the way that he, he gets you back like so with the with the stress fractures in my foot i was sort of running in 10 days like i'd be able to pack my shoe with some padding and get back on the treadmill running within you know just over a week so he was quite not that, not that i you know, probably would advise you just your average um person to do that but i was i was back on it pretty quickly because it you know if i don't run i'm not not a very happy person really so it's much better to be out there in some discomfort than not at all and where's your goals now are you are you how seriously like it, i I know that listening to you talk about how you're training here, it's it's very obvious you take your running really seriously. But how much of that is just this is something I'm always going to do because I'm a person who needs to get up and run or needs to get up and train to to maintain my sanity and be a good person to be around and 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 not you know not or, or just to enjoy your life versus like you know I really want to run this time because you know that, that this running goal is important to me and and I want to you know I want to take it sort of a, a bit further. Well, I'm, I'm very understanding of the fact that I'm, I'm just an ordinary amateur athlete. Like I'm not, you know, like when I, when the people you get on your podcast and they're, you know, they're running 219 or 214 or whatever it is. And then the best guys are under 210. I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm just an average athlete. So it's honestly, it's just a battle against myself. It's not, 
it's not ever a battle about, I never look at someone's time and go, oh, gee, I'd love to run that. It's just you know, how, how fast can you go? And, you know, you take some confidence out of the fact that I've never done anything right. Like if I actually got a coach you know, and, and started to put a proper program in place and had a proper build up, you know, maybe you, and you, you're on a fast, maybe you might be able to break 2.30. And I think 2.30 for me would be, or for any former AFL player, I'm not sure there's any that have gone quicker than that or, or many that have tried is a, is a pretty, pretty good time. So that's, that's the time, whether I get there or not, I'm not sure. And it's not the end of the world if I don't, but it's a good thing about running is there's always the next race and there's always um, the next goal that you can try and achieve. It's just a battle against yourself. So you don't have a running coach and have you ever had one? I ran with um, Team Tempo here in Adelaide, which is Adam Dick's group, and he's and he helped me out a little bit in the lead up to to Melbourne. Uh, that's the thing about the running the, the running community that I that I love. Everyone is so helpful. Like I missed a just an example. I missed a drink at the for some stupid reason. You, the Melbourne people they did a great job, but the the, the drinks they had. They put them in a bucket so they weren't just out on the table so you can run past and grab your drink like you normally would. You actually had to stop, look in the bucket, search for your drink, and then keep going. I was never going to do that. So I missed the, the first drink. And on the bike was uh, I saw Collis Birmingham. Like this, this is a this is a world-class athlete on the bike out there. I don't know, I've never met him in my life. Never, never met him, heard of him. I follow him on social media. Um, you know, what he's done, what he's done is, is crazy. So I've missed my drink at the 11 Kmart and I've sort of, I, I was you know, quite, cause I knew it was a hot day. It was in December. And I thought if I miss this, I mean, I'm in all sorts of trouble if I miss my early drink. Now he saw that I missed it and we've run off like a couple of Ks up. And then all of a sudden this bike's next to me and he's, he's called booming. He's got my drink. I thought, you're an absolute fucking legend. Like you, you do not know me. You couldn't never, you're not my coat, nothing. And he's gone back and got my drink. And this is an absolute legend of the sport. And I just find that that is you know, systematic of the running culture. Like everyone's out there to help. No one's really out to get you. Uh, that's, that's what I've loved. And, and this is you know, sort of, well, I've, you know, gone for a run with Sinead Diver and you think this is like these are world-class people and they're there to help. It just sort of blows me away a little bit. So, that, and that's the same with, with Diddick over here is so helpful and, and everyone, you know, the, the elite groups in Adelaide are helpful, but I've just never been able to stick to a program because of work. Like I can't, I can't go for a Sunday long run because I work on Sunday mornings. It's really tough to get into a race because of the footy season, you know, work seven days. So it's hard to take work off to get in a race. So really I just, I just run my own show um, and I run when I can in and around work, but it's not ideal in terms of running a fast time. I love hearing that story about Collis. Collis is a Ballarat boy, which is where I'm from. And, and you know, I've grown up um, idolizing I Collis. Thank you. I, I, I saw as, as he gave it to me, I said, thank you, but I never, I like, <laughs> mate, you're a, you're a lead like, And he sort of, sort of say, because if you miss, you know what it's like, if you miss a couple of drinks in a marathon, you're in all sorts. But yeah, I just thought, geez, that's a, pretty nice of him to do that yeah former australian five and 10k record holder arguably a, a top 20 runner we've ever had it's pretty crazy isn't it but he's giving me my drink yeah and, and the melbourne marathon course like what the hell where would where would that ever happen like that's like that's like rafa nadal giving you know being a ball boy for <laughs> literally for just someone having a hit of tennis you know in yeah. their backyard like it's crazy yeah, that's just Collis though. He's one of the, and, and you're right. It's 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 part of the running community. Collis is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You'd meet him, and you would just think he's your regular tradie who, you know, mm. he he has no arrogance about him whatsoever. Um, he's actually coming on the show, so uh, I like that you've uh, brought that up because I'm going to tell him this story, and he'll humbly just be like, oh, he he won't even he won't see it as a, as anything like um you know how you're describing it. It's like this is crazy. He he just won't see it like that. Hey um. So you, you reckon you couldn't have a coach? Is that just because you haven't tried, or like how how worth it would would it be for you to, for you know six months to be like like fuck this I'm going to run two twenty Let me get a coach. Well, I don't, I don't know if uh, two twenty. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm a slow twitch guy, so I don't know if I could ever get two twenty. Um, could I have a? I don't know. I'd, it would have to take some work. Um, and 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 I've thought about it, and I've just, but I've just never sort of got around to. It. I, I sort of half know what I'm doing now. I mean, you've you've run for four years. You sort of know what you need to hit, and um, you know, for me in the lead up to that Melbourne Marathon, I only it was six weeks really. It was sort of the only build up I had. But as long as I got sort of two sessions and a long run, it was a bit easier because it was in the lead up. It was sort of out of footy season, so I could get probably got in you know, two or three runs over 30 Ks in the lead up to that. Right. So it was a pretty ordinary preparation to be completely honest. And um, I punched out 234. Uh, it was a perfect day. Like there wasn't a breath of wind and I've run the Melbourne marathon where it's windy and it's, it's awful. So, you know, there's a couple of minutes in that and I'd never worn the shoes before um, in a marathon. So it was the first time I've actually worn the super shoes and that, that I can tell you that helps a little bit as well. So um, that was handy, but yeah, if I, if I ran a fast course with a coach, I don't know, there might be another couple of minutes there somewhere. Hey, hey, what pair of super shoes did you wear? I wore the, I wore Nike. I don't know, not with the air bubble. Okay. Yeah. The, the Vaporfly next percent. Yeah, that's the ones they're, they're good. Yeah. Hey, um, if you go back to your playing days versus now, who would win in a 3K or, I don't know, at Port Adelaide at the time, did you do a 2K or a 3K? Who, who would win? I'd win now. Like, I, I we were 3K around the around the uni loop, which is still where a lot of the elite runners run here in Adelaide. It's a 2.2 loop. It's on sort of gravel. Um, not much inclined, just a, a little bit. So it was, it was one lap plus 800 metres for the 3K. And I, I reckon my best when I was playing was sort of nine thirteen, which sounds horrible, doesn't it? Like doesn't, so I'd, you'd, you'd think you could go around nine minutes now. So I'd be, I'd be quicker now. Yeah. nine thirteen would still be like a, I would argue a top 10 time in the AFL in current day players. Probably. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone does it. I think they're much shorter now. I know Port Adelaide have moved away from that now and made it a little bit more game specific. I think they do three 1k efforts with, maybe three minutes in between. So 1K, three minutes off, do that three times and then you average your time. I think that's how they measure theirs. And, um, you know, that'd be that'd be around, you know, three minutes for a K, I reckon. Not sure many. There might be a couple that go a little bit quicker than that. Hey, hey like just a, a question I've always been fascinated on. You're, you're a media man and you're bloody good at it. You're, you're in my opinion, you're a, you know, a top three AFL media, media man. So... But I'm, I'm hearing you ch- like talk and, and, and listening to what you do now in your current life and, and what you were like as a player. Has that allure of, of going back to, to AFL club land to, you know, whether it's working in high performance or, or in coaching, has that ever called out to you? Um, not, not as much. Like I've, I love what I do now. I, um, I think you know, it's something that, you know, I, I think I can see myself doing for a long time. There was a, was a brief uh, period where I thought about coaching, uh, but once again, it's really not that media is not fickle, but it's really fickle in terms of you know you might get a, a two year contract, and then that's up if the team's no good and the coach moves on, then you're out and you've got to you know try and find another team and move into state and all of that. So I think I've found you know the passion and the the balance for me. I've incredible incredible support from from Craig Hutchison and, and SEN who sort of identified something in me you know, five, six years ago and you know took a took a bit to walk away from the fireys. Not that I, I liked it. I, I hated every minute of, of being in the fireys. I know a lot of people love it, but it wasn't for me. So I was I was ready for a change, but I feel incredibly fortunate to work for the company that I work for and hopefully um, can do it for you know 20 more years or something like that. And just listening to you talk, like you're a hard worker. That's as evident as, as, as you know, the sky's blue type thing. Um, when, it, when it comes to the media role, and, and you mentioned a guy like Craig Hutchinson now, like who's super successful and, you know, just dominates the media landscape in, in, in Australian rules football. How does preparation for, for all your media work go? And, and what's feedback like when you're doing it? Like, do you and, do you and Craig Hutchinson sit back and be like, okay, this is what we want to achieve and, and then after it, after it happens, you know, you're d- discussing everything you talked about and like, oh, well, maybe we should have done this and that. Like how, how professional is that landscape compared to, you know, how you take your running or how you took your playing days? Yeah, well, I, I, I seek feedback um, probably. And that was when I played as well. Like I was always 
one for you know sitting down with the coach and you know we used to watch every single possession that I got so you know if I'd had 30 you know I'd watch all of that and then but then I'd watch every possession that my opponent had um so I was very strong on getting feedback and having a real clear picture of how I'd played I, I wanted that I wanted to know that um how they thought they saw my game and how I saw it so that was important and that hasn't really changed but I think I've got better at it in terms of sitting down with Hutchie and talking about what I've spoken about. It doesn't really happen. They sort of leave me to my own devices a little bit. We probably catch up. Um, well, we see each other a lot because of footy classified on a Monday night. So if there's, if there's anything that needs to be said, it can be said there, but in terms of formally, uh, maybe once or twice a year and sit down and, and work out how things are going. But very rarely is anyone ever, I don't know if it's ever happened. Is anyone from work, and I say some pretty strong things, as you know, I, no one's ever really said, hey, I reckon you went too far there, or I reckon you could have done this. So um, probably, probably says you're doing everything okay. Not to say that you're not one sentence away from ending your career, really, when you're on live TV or, or live radio, you've got to be really switched on and, and knowing what you're talking about. But I must admit, I've, I've appreciated the fact that they sort of leave me to my own devices a little bit and, and they know that I'm you know, pretty well prepared. Hey, do you have ambitions of like starting your own thing or, or are you, where's your, where, where do you see, see your media career going? Is it like, you know, the Kane Corn show, a, a podcast that's fully you or is it hosting TV shows or is it being the main man on, on Channel 7 commentating the game? Yeah, I don't know. Like it's um, it's it's hard to know where things go. You know, you you definitely look at you know a podcast or your own show or something like that. But at the moment, you don't really have time for that. Um, you know, the hosting stuff. I do a fair bit of that on on radio, and that's something that I really like. I've had my own show on SEN on Fridays um, called the Captain's Run, which has been a real learning curve for me. Like just being behind the mic on your own for three hours with not a co-host or anything like that and you think gee if no one calls me up here and wants to talk you're in a bit of trouble like you're gonna to have to sort of pad for a while and, and get through three hours that was a great learning experience particularly when I first started uh, hosting tv is something that also um uh, you know I'd be be ambitious to do but I don't know I don't know where it's going to go but um at the moment it's I've got enough on my plate and um yeah I'm enjoying I'm enjoying what I do Awesome. Hey, I've just got a couple of things and, and then we'll wrap it up, Kane. But I um so I don't do any preparation for the show. I just sort of want to have a natural conversation. And and so these a couple of these questions are probably questions without notice because I just want to hit like a few things that because I've, I've one of my best mates is a big fan of yours and, and listens to all your work and and I know that he would love to hear your opinion on on just what's you know, he loves he loves when you just go out on a limb and say things. So uh, just some things that I sort of would love to get your take on and and if, if you don't know the answer, just just tell me. But um, who who will win the uh, AFL Premiership this year? <sighs> who will win the? It's a bit of, it's a bit early for my prediction. See, the, the thing with this, Jack, it, when I say this, someone will screenshot it. Like you you'll, you'll tweet it, <laughs> you'll Instagram it. Someone will screenshot it, and I've put no thought, no preparation, and someone when it doesn't happen will remind me on social media and get stuck in stuck into me about this so i don't know i've put no thought into it i do i do like a couple of teams i i think my team is really interesting um port adelaide like they've they've come really close there's a little a few similarities between them and melbourne and melbourne belted in that prelim um what was that 2018 and went away didn't quite work came back and went all the way. There's, there's some similarities there. Ken Hinkley into his 10th year as coach. I, so I, I do, for obvious reasons, have some warmth there. I, I mean, it's it's always easy to pick Melbourne again, but once again, they're, they're really hard to win. Uh, back-to-back premierships are are really hard to win and the Western Bulldogs will be around the mark. So I've sat on the fence there. I don't like sitting on the fence, but I'm not I'm not going to give you an answer just yet. It's only, it's only <laughs> January, isn't it? January the 24th. That's the beauty of uh, questions without notice. You can look like a genius or you can get handed for three months about it um what what time will you will you run in a marathon in in 2022 <laughs> well i've got to get in one so i've got to speak to my boss about getting a I'm, I'm hoping to do gold coast now they tell me it's a bit faster is that have you done the gold coast it's fast but it could be hot fast but hot oh, i i need to get closer to 230 like i need to get something respectable and i, I when it's got a 
you know, a two, two, nine in front of it, it sounds a lot better. So at some point I'm going to have to go under two thirty. I don't know if it's this year. If you're going to run Gold Coast, I'd get onto uh, another Adelaide runner, Sam Tebeck, and and get a heat heat like a heat adaptation program happening. That that's that that will be what you are uh, what dictates whether you succeed or not on on the Gold Coast course. I reckon. Um, another one. This is probably you're probably going to tell me you don't know he who wins the Brownlow this year. No, I can I can tell you who wins the Brownlow. I think Isaac Heaney might win the Brownlow. I think he's ready, <sighs> I reckon he's ready to explode. Wow, that is uh, not what I expected. He's a gun, but he's he's got that. So what what a win Brownlows is is only you can only win it if you're a midfielder, right? It's ridiculous. Like the, the game's highest honor can only be won by a small percentage of players. It's a joke, but that's that's the way that it's gone. He's been a a forward slash midfielder, and he's hasn't he's been great, but he hasn't lived up to his expectation yet. And they tell me he's going to play a lot more through the midfield. So. If his body stays sound, he, he could be anything. He's about, about 25, 26, about, about right, the time to go. And uh, is there a player who everyone talks about as having massive potential, but for, for maybe off-field reasons or preparation reasons has never achieved what they're going to achieve? Is there anyone who will take their game to the next level, maybe in a way that like Jake Stringer did last year? Um, there's one I'm, I'm really keen to see how Jordan Ngoi goes about it he's been a great disappointment really for me like he he sold us a story that he was going over to america to do a you know a big training program he got into more trouble over there got arrested anyway he's all the charges have been downgraded he got suspended from collingwood he's back he's out of contract so one of one of my my theories in footy media is that players who are out of contract often produce career best years because there's the motivation to get a big deal. You see players sign for five, six years, the following year, they're often incredibly disappointing because they know they're going to get paid what they're going to get paid regardless of how they perform. Not so if you're out of contract. So you watch the out of contract players produce career best years. Jake Stringer did it this year. There's been Christian Petrarca has done it. Dustin Martin's done it in the past. It's one of my theories. So just to watch on Jordan to go, he's half the player that he has the potential to be right now. Yeah, awesome. I won't ask you any more questions without notice because they were they were good. And you actually gave way more than I thought you would. But uh, my last question is, your audience is obviously largely an AFL audience, and you've sort of talked about how even you, as a hard hard working, like high high achieving AFL player, didn't quite realise that when when you get into the running game or triathlon or cycling, that they just train like maniacs, and it's it's something that you didn't even realise. So if you were to you know, talk to a country, uh, a country footballer, a, a young country footballer, and, and and you know, give them advice around their training. What would it be now that you know, you know, this is how actual professional athletes work who who want to be the best of their game versus you know maybe how fifty percent of of the AFL world views like hard training. Yeah, I don't I don't want to take away from the fact in the AFL world it's it's skill and talent that is vital. So if if you if you can't kick a footy, it doesn't matter how how hard you train right if you can't kick in modern footy you can't play so for for your average country player who's who's got the ability and who knows what they're doing who is clean below their knees that can pick up the ball without fumbling who's you know tough enough uh, and willing to put their you know their body in positions that isn't comfortable let's be honest it's you know it's a pretty brutal game 360 degree where you you're not sure where the contact is going to come from so i don't i don't want to i don't want to downplay what the AFL players do because I still think it's the toughest sport in the country and you know you need to be good at a lot of things but if you've got the skill and you've got the ability to have a crack at it don't ever have a day off that's what I'd say I say don't have a day off the best athletes in the world don't have days off not not one like hashtag no days off but don't have six weeks of the year off this is what some AFL players have six weeks off I can't get my head around it I don't want to go on a rant here. I sound like, I sound like that. don't have a day off is what I'd say. This is do something to improve your game every day, whether that's going for a run, whether that's having a kick, whether that's working on your hands, whether that's watching vision, whatever it is every day of the year, do something to make yourself better. Yeah. I love that. Especially cause we're, you know, maybe we're moving into the recovery era, era a little bit too much in the game of AFL where everyone's sort of, you know, oh, I, I had my main session on a Tuesday. I've got to do nothing on the Wednesday. So that is actually really poignant advice, I think. 
Yeah, well, and then you can't have shots for goal because they're worried about um, you know doing a quad injury. I mean, there's a balance. You don't want to you don't want to burn, put yourself into the ground and halfway through the year, you know, be getting stress fractures in your back if you're a young player, or whatever. There's, there's definitely a balance there, but just do something to improve yourself most days because I reckon the majority of players don't, and that'll give you a pretty strong advantage. Awesome, yeah. Hey, thanks heaps for the chat. The chat game, like I said in, in my intro, um, yeah, you're a real a real idol of mine and someone I look up to um, for a lot of reasons. You know, you, you work in the media, who you who you were as an athlete, and 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 what I perceived you to be as a person, and, and talking to you, yeah, that's that's been cemented. I think um, I think really highly of you. So I, I can't thank you enough for for taking your time to to come on a little show like mine that that you know compared to what you're what you're doing means means nothing. So. Um, I, I really, I really appreciate and, and, and yeah, value that time you gave me. Ah, uh, good on you, mate. You've you've hit the ground running. The the podcast has got serious legs, so keep it up. And um, have to check back in in the future to see if I can get a little bit faster and use some of those tips you've given me. Yeah, well, if you run if you run two twenty five or or faster, I'm uh, I'm I'm really keen to get you back on and and hear what you did to actually make it happen. There's a challenge. <laughs> awesome. Thank, thanks, Gornzy. Good on you, mate.